Welcome to Drinks at Work by Boothby. I'm Sam Bygrave. This episode is an interesting, entertaining chat with Caroline Ashford. You may know her as The Gin Queen on Instagram and Facebook or via our website, thegincqueen.com. But Caroline is also behind the Australian arm of Junipalooza, which as you might guess, is a two-day show devoted to all things gin that's taking place in Sydney and Melbourne this year. But during the pandemic, she also got into the gin pushing game herself with the Gin Porium. So we'll have a talk about all those things. We'll also talk about how she's amassed an online following in the tens of thousands, her advice on growing your own brand and where Gin is at today. It's a really interesting chat about how she built her career in drinks over the last decade. This episode is sponsored by Australian Cocktail Month. It's a great initiative to get people back into the bars taking place in May. One ticket gets you access to exclusive cocktail menus, 144 bars across 12 cities for the entire month of May. You can learn more about Australian Cocktail Month at australiancocktailmonth.com.au and follow them on Instagram and Facebook at Australian Cocktail Month. Now, my chat with Caroline Ashford. Caroline, thanks for joining me on the Drinks at Work podcast. How are you today? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. Uh, we're going to talk a bit about how you've made a career as a gin communicator, uh, as a judge and now as a, a gin pusher but first it'd be great if we could sort of set the table a bit and get the origin story of how the gin queen came about the origin story makes me sound like wolverine <laughs> <laughs> uh, gin queen origins yeah it's kind of a bit of a yeah i really liked gin anyway before i left uh, the uk which was 10 years ago well yeah 10 years ago now mm. um but I'd never been to Australia before, so a bit of a gamble, which fortunately paid off. I think when you go to a new country, like everybody, when you go on holiday, you kind of want to sample the local, uh, the local produce. So I was really interested to see whether there was any Australian gin around. And at the time, there were about six brands. So I was really, you know, I was really interested in in the whys and the wherefores and who was who was doing what. So it was. Melbourne Gin Company, West Winds, I think, uh, Distillery Botanica. And I actually launched the website the same week that Four Pillars launched their Rare Dry Gin. So that was right. one of the sort of first trade events I went to. And it sounds a bit arrogant. You know, everyone's like, oh, you're the gin queen. It's a bit embarrassing now looking back because I didn't, obviously didn't know as much as I know now. Um, <laughs> and I actually named it named it after the person um, in my life at the time who'd introduced me to gin. And it was actually meant to be myself and a girlfriend. So it was actually going to be the gin queens. And for lots of reasons, she decided to take a back seat. So I was left with the gin queen, which you know, it makes me cringe a bit now <laughs> um, because it wasn't my, you know, you know, to create an identity for myself. But hey, 10 years on, nearly, here we are. What was behind the impetus to set this up in the first place? Why, why go from just being interested in gin to communicating about it? I think, um, I mean, I've got a marketing uh, background with a, a publishing band and I was always kind of writing I think when I really got into gin, I was so, um, when I got into Australian gin, I was so excited to share um, it with everyone. And, you know, I'm a bit of a gin bore. Um, and so I was boring friends with, you know, with regaling my tales of where I'd been and where I tasted gin. And yeah. someone just casually said, oh, you, you know, you should start writing about this. And kind of 10 years ago, blogging was, you know, it was peak, uh, peak performance, I think. And yeah. so I just kind of, you know, vaguely started re reviewing gins in a very rudimentary way. Internationals, not just Australian. Set up my social media accounts. Just, I mean, again, I look back at some of my posts from 2014 um, and I think, oh, bless baby Caroline. Um, <laughs> if I knew then what I knew now. So I think, you know, and obviously as time's gone on, social media has kind of um, become much more important. 
uh, important way of communicating with readers. But um, yeah, it's um, it's constantly evolving. Mm. And so, uh, what year was this? This was around 2013. 2013. 2013. Yeah. So next year is my tenth anniversary. My goodness. How about that? <laughs> Uh, how how big was the social media thing then? Because and because you've got you've got quite a following on social media. Yeah, like. I mean, everyone says, "Oh, you know, how do you how do you get that follow?" I mean, I think I've got thirteen and a half thousand on Facebook, but I think it's nineteen point six k on Instagram. I'd love to yeah. be able to tell you there's a magic bullet, and you can definitely <laughs> go down the route of buying followers and using bots and everything else. Mm. I can just tell you that that's eight years of just posting consistently. And posting yeah. things that people are interested in. So, what, what were the kind of things you were posting to start with? I think what I was posting at the beginning was was different ways to drink gin. I think, I mean, it's still um, gin and tonic is still the most popular way uh, to drink here. I was doing a lot of fiddling around with sort of steeping, you know, Earl Grey tea into gin, which I know now there is actually Earl Grey tea gins out there. I'm not saying I started a trend or anything, but you know, I'll take it. Um, <laughs> you can claim it. Why not? <laughs> So, you know, just fiddling around with garnishes, seeing what I could do, going to lots of bars like ODB. And I'd yeah. go and I'd sit at the bar, which I absolutely still love doing, is going sitting at the bar and learning from bartenders. And they were very patient with me. And I would come back <laughs> and, you know, pretend to have a go at home. I think my greatest triumph was recreating the Campari dust to um, to dust oh. my Negroni glass, which I look back and I think, who's got time for that, really? Um, so it was very much... It would, it would have looked good on Instagram. Though, oh, it right? looked great. Um, yeah. And I think it was... But I mean, I don't think Instagram really was was what it is now. So it was very, mm. very, very slow evolution, very slow growth. And, then, and I assume that the... Well, I know that the, uh, the gin scene in Australia in particular back then was... It's nowhere near to what it is now. No, right? I mean, like I said, there were six brands that you could get hold of um readily and i mean we're still um what i would call a brown nation's spirit in terms of you know rum and whiskey will still uh, and vodka i mean i have to kind of remind myself that you know once you move out of the major cities you know people's drinking habits are are vastly different from what we expect in in the urban centers um so you know is bundy and coke and, and things like that which is fine i'm not being snobby about it but I have to remind myself that not everybody thinks the way I do um about drink and spirits in general that there's a broader uh palette yeah not everyone has an encyclopedic knowledge of which gins have <laughs> strawberry gum in it for instance yeah. god now you're gonna ask me and I can't remember no that's fine <laughs> <laughs> no I'll let you oh off god, this is a test. I, didn't realize that's gonna be a t- a I told you there'd be end. a test <laughs> this isn't a puff piece Caroline you know that so do you think it's harder to build a social media following if you want to step out and start writing about, say, a particular spirit, category or cocktails today? I think it's much more it's a much more crowded marketplace in terms of being that person. I definitely think that I was very lucky uh, to a certain degree that I started when I started in 2013. You know, Four Pillars, had, like I said, had literally just launched um, and they were, to my mind, the kind of game changers yeah. Uh, for the for the spirit scene in, in terms of what could be done in Australia, if I was starting now, I would probably have a very different take on it. Things like TikTok, YouTube. You know, Cara Devine does a fantastic um, YouTube uh, sessions teaching people about spirits and, and drinks. And I think there is much more um, connection with video. I do Gin Chat Tuesdays on Instagram, which uh, on Instagram Live, which I'm just about to start start up again now that the holidays are dying off um, sure. and people like that immediate connection 
Um, yes, it's nice to look at, uh, at static pictures of things and, you know, give it a like as you scroll past. But I think uh, people do like to make a connection with people that are making their drinks or even just, you know, connecting with me, she says yeah. arrogantly. <laughs> do you find that people are really interested in getting the story of the people who are making the stuff? 100%. Or, 100%. Because, because you get a lot of the, especially the bigger brands, they'll market the the people who make the thing. It's really crafty and all that sort of mm. stuff. But I wonder how much of that's, you know, true to life and, and how much of it's just the marketing spin a lot of the time. I think people, I mean, I think the evolution of the gin consumer in Australia has has changed dramatically as well. People are much more educated. They they're much more um, sort of seeking out. It's not just about going on a winery tour at the weekend now. It's, you know, it's seeking out your local distillery. Yeah, I think yeah. people do want to make a connection. And I think, yes, there is uh, some cynicism, particularly, you know, those of us who've been around the industry for a long time. I think the difference with gin distillers is it's a much smaller smaller scale. So, for example, when we started Junipalooza uh, in Australia in 2016, um, you know that the major the major unique selling point for our brand is that it's meet the maker. So mm. you cannot have a stand at Junipalooza unless you are willing to send your distiller to be on the stand for the whole event. So well, we've stood by that to the point that in 2018, Desmond Payne, who's the master distiller of Beef Eater, came and worked his stand the whole weekend. And <laughs> um, God bless him. Um, and wow. he feels, you know, to have that connection, you know, distillers spending time with him, you know, people who, you know, remember Beef Eater being their first drink of choice, going up and being able to speak to someone who's been making gin for 50 years. You can't you can't buy that experience. I imagine there would have been a throng of bartenders around him just uh, chewing his ear off the whole time. Right? Um, bartenders <laughs> don't tend to come to Junapalooza that much. But um, yeah. yeah, distillers definitely, um, you know, it's like meeting your absolute hero. So um, I do think people, uh, gin consumers, do make that connection. And, and we've seen it in terms of, the, you know, the growth of our event. Uh, the number of people that, you know, that want to come and make a connection and be able to go home and show your friend and say, oh, I bought this amazing gin today and I met the people that make it. And it's really, really funny because this is their background and this is what mm. they've decided to do. So people do connect brands with stories, definitely. I have to ask you about TikTok if we're talking about social media. I am completely naive on TikTok. I haven't downloaded the app, haven't looked at it. I'm clearly trapped in the in the body of a 15 year old teenager because I'm obsessed with it. It's my happy place, you know. If you want stupid people doing stupid things, dog videos, cat videos, yeah. you know, it's the place to be. I've yet to see. I know there are several gin brands, local gin brands, who are on there. I've yet to see um, anything that's really caught my eye. I still think Instagram, Instagram Live, Instagram Stories, obviously Facebook Stories, um, yeah. that kind of video is. Um, is more engaging, but I I still think TikTok will you know will grow further. For are you, you going to take the gin queen onto TikTok? God, it's enough. If you watch some of my earlier um, Instagram lives where I'm leaning into the camera, wiping lipstick off my teeth, or you know <laughs> trying to set up a live link with someone in the Outer Hebrides, um, yeah. it's taken me you know two years of COVID land to perfect that. So in a word, no, I don't think so. I'm not in any. I'm not in any rush. <laughs> People know that okay. they get the authentic me with Instagram Live. There are many, yeah, there are many technical stuff up. So um, okay. I find so, those out now. <laughs> okay. Tell, you touched on Junipalooza there. Mm. Uh, can you tell me about what Junipalooza is and how did that uh, partnership start happening for you? Because that's a, it's a UK-based event Yeah, so initially. it's been going for 
about 10 years in the UK, um, started by Emil and Olivier Ward, who um, set up Gin Foundry. They've got quite a um, interesting background in that they were the agency that created, kind of worked with Hendrix to create the, the kind of Hendrix look. So they've right. been around for a long time in the industry. Um, they set up Junipalooza with the idea of connecting consumers with brands via the whole Meet the Maker concept. And when I was kind of, I mean, I don't even <laughs> talk about Wing and a Prayer. I'd only been doing this for kind of two or three years. And I just thought there's nothing like that here. I mean, yes, we've had whiskey shows, but nothing on that scale. Um, mm. So I just took a punt and sent an email. Yeah, well. And just, you know, what's the worst they can say? Always. What's the worst they can say is no, thank you. Did, so, did, you, did you know anything about uh, this sort of events business beforehand? No. No, I mean, right. I've got a marketing background and I can run an event, but not on yeah. on that scale. So I emailed them, I think it was the end of 2015, actually, emailed them and said, what do you think? And they were, you know, very interested. I think I met them for the first time at Tales of the Cocktail in 2016. Yeah. Um, and absolute, we were ahead of the time pre-COVID, absolutely, because they're based in London. We did absolutely everything um, over, over Skype, over, you know, yeah. Teams and everything else. So... I'd only met them once in person before they came over to run the event. Yeah, they took a punt and it worked. I took That's a great. punt and it worked. Always ask, always ask the question. Are you staging it this year? I yeah. guess things with COVID have made things difficult. <laughs> yeah, we had to, um, we've had a, a, an interesting run in 2019. Uh, the venue that we'd picked started to sink into uh, Melbourne Harbour. So we had six weeks. <laughs> we had six weeks to find another venue, which was very stressful. Um, and then obviously, uh, and that was fine. And then obviously, 2020, we couldn't do the shows at all. And we planned to launch in Sydney. That obviously didn't go ahead. And I had high hopes for 2021, and that didn't go ahead either. I'm really blessed that we have such great relationships with our distillers in that every single person just kind of said, let roll our booking over and the same with ticket holders. So we're still, you know, almost right. at capacity for Melbourne. Uh, we've got a new venue. So I'm very excited, very excited about that. So did you say the dates? Is that a, is that a dog there? That is my dog trying to get my <laughs> okay. attention. Can you hear her? She's kind of, yeah. she's kind of trying to get my attention. My children are still in bed. So, uh, yeah, Sydney is 27th and 28th of August Great. at Carriage Works, and Melbourne is Friday the 21st to the 23rd, Sunday the 23rd at the Timber Yard in Melbourne. And what can people expect when they go to these kind of things? Like, the, obviously, there's tastings involved. The, you said that the distillers are there. Yeah, all the distillers are there. So, you know, like I say, it's not, um, you know, you can't just sort of have a brand ambassador there. They have to be there with the distiller. They get a free glass. Fever Tree are our sort of platinum partner, so they supply a lot of the tonics and there's obviously a big activation with them. Yeah. But really it comes down to meeting the distiller, tasting the gin and understanding uh, the pro not just the process, but the stories behind the gin, why the distiller created this, you know, playing with botanicals and then buying gin. We used to have, well, we did have uh, two people used to fly over from New Zealand with empty suitcases just to be able to take things over. Um, and That's great. Yeah, we have people who come because we have three sessions, so two sessions on the Saturday and one session on a Sunday, and we have people who book all three sessions. So My goodness. the first session they do half the room, the second session they do the other half of the room. It's Sunday they come back to shop. That's a long day of uh, juniper. Uh, yeah, it's four hours. It's four hour slots, yeah. and with a with a lunch break in the middle. Yeah, it's commitment. 
And speaking of uh, long days of juniper, you've done a fair bit of gin judging yourself, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, what What are the comps that you've done this for? Uh, spirits judging now. I started with the Australia Distilled Spirits Awards. I've done Tasting Australia, uh, American Distilling Institute, which I did in 2020, which is the last overseas trip I did before COVID. And I'm heading over there again in March. And then just recently, I've done the World Gin Awards. Uh, how did you get into this? What And what sort of skills... Or, you know, are there any qualifications that people need to be able to do this sort of thing? I think I'd already sort of set myself up to do uh, level two spirits. So I'd done level one, but at the time it's quite interesting. It was level one wine and spirits. I thought, great. Okay, fantastic. This was about oh, I don't know, six years ago. Mm. Got there all excited, very excited to taste wine, learned a lot about wine. And then there was half an hour on spirits <laughs> and a chapter at the end of the book. And I was yeah. like, this is really weird. But obviously the, the consequence of, you know, craft distilling growing around the world is the need for, you know, people wanting to know more. So we set introduced level two, which I did a couple of years ago, and I'm just embarking on level three. I definitely think that helps. But mm. prior to me doing level two, I'd already been asked. And most of the time I just get asked, or my name gets put forward. My, my name got put forward for um, ADI and the World Gin Awards. So, um, yeah. and both of those are kind of really good ones to do. And um, can you, Sort of talk a little bit about the process behind these things. Are they all those different comps that you've done? Are they roughly the same? Because I mean, we've done the Australian Distilled Spirits yeah. Awards together, so I know how that works. Yeah, it's very it's very similar. I think yeah, it's very similar in terms of double blind tasting. You kind of do follow the Wiset model of you know clarity, um, you know balance, integration, that kind of those scoring methods. There's a few misconceptions um, in that people assume that everybody gets a medal and they don't. <laughs> Um, I think for me, um, it's a massive learning experience. Um, you know, I'm really honoured to do the American Distilling Institute and the World Gin Awards because I get to sit alongside some of the the most experienced spirits people ever, you know, judges from Germany. You know, I think I judged World Gin Awards alongside people from Ireland, Norway, you know, have a very different palette. Mm. Um, same with American Distilling Institute, you know, been alongside, you know, master blenders of cognac, people with 30 years experience in whiskey blending. You can't, I can't tell you what that means for me as, you know, in terms of my education. So it's just a huge learning, learning curve, really. You touched on the, on the gold medal thing. And it does seem to me like every other week I get an email about this spirit or this gin or something has yeah. got a new got a gold medal at some yeah. competition all around the world i understand that gold medals are important uh mm. when you walk into a bottle shop and you know if there's one bottle that says it's got a gold medal from it could be you know from gunda guy or whatever it could be to a bottle that doesn't you're probably going to choose the one with the gold medal sticker well, on it. i don't i don't know that you are i did some um research um i did a survey with with gin lovers um about 18 months ago it was it was it was the least important thing in terms of picking a gin. The least important thing was awards. Um, oh, so from really, a, yeah, from a consumer point of view, Come it's a on. survey of the. Are, are they gin lovers? Are they? Yeah, I think there's I, a thousand people, and it it was okay. it was ranked the lowest thing. Um, yeah. But I think you know you can be quite cynical about you know awards and you know does everybody get a gold medal but i think mm. you have to realize the the impact it has on the distiller themselves you know it's quite an isolating business you're you know you're plodding along working on your own long hours a day it's your business um and that to be able to get that recognition on a global stage is is significant for them 
Um, Secondly, um, I hear anecdotally from brands that it's opened up conversations with bigger retailers. So it has Mm. a knock-on effect there. It's a a door opener. And I think because, as you know, when we do the um, Australian Distilled Spirits Awards, a lot of time is not just scoring. It's actually making, you know, comprehensive notes for the distiller that can be, you know, that can be fed back. Uh, yes. which I think distillers really appreciate. Again, conversations where people have tweaked their recipe slightly, um, you know, on the back of some of those notes. Right, um, okay. And, yeah, I think it's um, – oh, sorry, I did read a third of consumers say it's important, um, the award, yeah. awards. So um, I think, you know, benchmarking as a brand and, and some of the awards that we've picked up are really, you know, okay, a gold medal here and there. But some of the awards that have been won by Australian distillers are, you know, massively significant. Four Pillars won the IWSC Gym Producer of the uh, International Gym Producer of the Year in 2019 and 2020, up yeah. against you know brands like Herno. So you know that's massive, massive. Speaking of uh, selling gin, you've now you're now a gin pusher yourself, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Poacher turned gamekeeper. Um, Tell us about the Gymporium. The Gymporium, gosh, that was, um, it is, it's been a long time coming. I've had distillers say to me, oh, you know, you should should set up a gin shop on the website. And it was something that I really um, rallied against for a long time because um, I write about things on the website that I really like. um, And I didn't want to sort of be in that position where I was spooking things that, you know, I was having having to sell later. So I definitely wanted to do something distinctly different. And I didn't want to be, we didn't want to be just another retail store. So mm. my business partner, Inoka, who is an absolute gun, she and I have been friends for a long time. She lives in Sydney and does uh, kind of cocktail and spirits writing across across a range um, and has been with us at Junipalooza since it started. And we knew we wanted to work together but we were kind of finding it hard to nail something down that would be different, would appeal to consumers when it's very crowded. You know, Dan Murphy, some of the bigger retailers, they have, you know, an inventory in the hundreds. Mm. Uh, so we knew we didn't want to compete on that level. And and competing on price would be Competing on difficult. price. Um, and so <clears throat> this very embarrassing afternoon, I nipped into uh, one of the big, the big chain because I like to run in and just quickly see who's who's on the shelf which Australian distillers are currently being ranged uh so post dog walk really looking my absolute best and I hear this woman's voice from the other end of the aisle going oh my god are you the gin queen um (laughs) her teenage daughter was by this point shrinking into the shelving and I was like yeah it's me and she's like oh you know I follow you etc etc I was like yeah that's great because look I'm I'm trying to pick a bottle of gin and I've got these four in front of me and I really don't know uh, which one to go for. So we talked for, you know, about 40 minutes of, you know, the whys and wherefores of each gin. And, you know, she was like, oh, thank you so much. Went on our merry way. And I rang in Oka and I was like, oh, this is so embarrassing. This is what happened today. And she said, that's it. That's the concept. You know, the concept is, you know, we're going to be Australia's first first gin concierge, which means we're going to somehow create an online platform where the experience is if, uh, you had me going shopping with you because there are so many, you know yourself when you go into a bottle shop now, the, the shelves are just crowded. Um, I've just done yeah. another um, another count of the number of SKUs in Australia and there's well over 900 SKUs now and that's not including. Um, but this is, the, this, is, this is the thing. This is, I mean, this is the world that we're living in now, right? We have this absolute abundance of everything because I think thanks to the 
internet and social media and we're able to buy things from overseas pretty quickly now it's you just have this crazy access but there's too much yes so i mean yeah. how, how do you get discovered if you're a new gin producer exactly so with the concierge and um, basically you go online and you take a quiz and we basically it's sort of you know things like are you a, a beach person are you a mountain person do you like chocolate what's your, what would be your favorite breakfast and all of those things and basically from the answers you give we suggest four gins um that we think you'd like um and we do have a retail option but it was it's deliberately um and i know this is an overused word but it's deliberately curated um, yeah. we started off with kind of 15 gins absolutely everything on there we've either bought ourselves bought for friends and we taste absolutely everything and i think that's fairly unique i would guess that some of the larger retailers are not in a position to uh, to hand on heart say that yeah um and yeah first year we launched in the middle of pandemic so we launched in august 2020 which i'm sure a lot of people would say we were crazy and we you know we've but we was smashed... there an upside to it oh yeah yeah i think so people were definitely as you know online shopping for for booze and cocktail kits and lots of home yeah. drinking so we smashed our first year you know really confident going into into year two that's i mean that's it's really interesting to see how starting from the Gin Queen in 2013 to the events kind of stuff. I mean, it's about building these different sort of revenue streams to sort of sustain a career. Yeah, I think when you do a startup like the Gin Pouring, you have to be realistic and, you know, everyone knows when your first couple of years, you're not paying yourself. None of it, none of it has really been planned. And I know I'm supposed to have this. I think one of your questions is, you know, what's next? And one of, you know, I'm sure I'm supposed to have a really insightful five-year plan. And, um, <laughs> but I never buy that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but a lot of it has been a wing and a prayer it's asking those questions it's sending those emails and saying can I do this and not mm. being afraid to you know get a negative answer and just phoning up distillers and saying I want to come and see what you're doing just being a bit I don't know curious curious and yeah that's it really there's not really been a hard and fast plan and I've been really lucky to work alongside people like Inoka and Emile and Olivier who do have master plans <laughs> Because I think I would be in a very different position if I didn't. So surround yourself with good surround people. Surround yourself with fantastically saying. driven, uh, organised people um, who are quite happy for you to come along for the ride. Let me ask you, uh, what do you think is driving all the production of these new genes, particularly in Australia? Because how many how many SKUs are there now? You said 900, 900 plus. Um, there's now, I've got some more stats for you. So there's about 285 distilleries producing gin. In um, Australia. In Australia. Yeah. But they potentially... That doesn't include, like, portfolio brands and stuff, no, right? Uh, no, that, that's just Australian uh, distilleries, and they may well produce wine, uh, whiskey and vodka. There's 307 brands, so that then what you're referring to does take into the fact that we have a, a growing contract distilling industry. Um, but like I said, there's 900-plus SKUs now. Why, why, why is there so many Australian distilleries making gin, do you think? I think because it seems um, like a lot it is a lot um I think you know the 285 you will find a lot of people there who are making other spirits alongside so yeah not uh you know I wouldn't say that very many of those are just gin I think a, a large proportion would be what is driving it lots of people who want a tree change lots of people with various backgrounds who want to work for themselves they can see that you know gin is an exciting product you get fairly quick results in terms of you know like if you're making whiskey obviously as you know 
you know, it goes into barrel, it's a wing and a prayer for two years and, you know, most of your capital's tied up uh, tied up in your barrels. Whereas, yeah. you know, a, a run on a gin still is, what, eight hours, you know, it gets left for a couple of weeks uh, and then it's bottled and then it's, you know, it's, I'd say, you know, two-week turnaround. So yeah. um, it's Well, then fair. hopefully you sell it, yeah. Yeah, and then hopefully, hopefully you sell it. Uh, you know, routes to market have always been a challenge. But I think... Mm. Um, you know, we've got a great culture here of people going out at the weekend and wanting to look locally for food and drink. And as I said earlier, you know, people are used to going out, you know, wineries at the weekends. And I think yeah. more and more, you know, they're seeking out distilleries. And, you know, there's a lot of wineries now who are making spirits. Yeah, I just, I mean, it just boggles my mind. When I was bartending in the early 2000s, you know, there wasn't any Australian gin except for maybe the mass produced stuff yeah. that came in a plastic tub. Now it's just uh, almost too much, I would say. I think it depends where where you're coming from. Um, I think there's lots of different um, lots of different layers to this. You know, you yeah. are you know a lot of it is hyper local. So you'll have distilleries. You know, there's a great distillery called Fosses in Mildura, um, and you know it's hyper hyper local, really well supported. And I think there's lots of people doing that kind of thing where you know they're they're just interested in being the gin brand in their town. Not everybody right. has a massive you know, first to, to go into export markets. I mean, what's four pillars in now? About 19, 20 markets. Yeah. Not everybody has that has that desire. Not everybody has that desire to go into the to the big retailers. Um, right. What I am seeing more is where people are investing more significantly in their cellar doors. Um, okay. And a couple of ones in Melbourne that really kind of caught my eye. Puss and Mew, which uh, is probably only been open in the last six months, their, their business model is to be the local bar. So you can go in and do the gin score. You can go in and see, um, you know, how it's made and everything else. But they've made a really kind of cosy, uh, you know, you can go in and have a few G&Ts and have a nice platter. Um, mm. And that's their focus is to be. And again, they're in a suburb that's not got an awful lot necessarily going on. So people pop down there for a G&T on a Friday night. Right. Nought Distillery, you could be, it's so well done, you could be, in an, a Melbourne CBD bar, you would honestly not know that you were in the middle of what what on a on a <laughs> on a basically a former mechanic garage surrounded by you know other industries on an industrial estate. You walk right. through the door and it's just spectacular. And again, fantastic bar staff, amazing cocktail list, uh, and people go there because they want to have a decent drink. It's destination drinking. Then. It's destination drinking, absolutely. Yeah. And right. I think I'm seeing more of that. Um, you know, Imbue is another one for lots of reasons they can't have a distillery where they make it. So they've opened a tasting bar and room uh, where people go along and, and have cocktails. And I think that's uh, an interesting trend that I'm seeing a lot more um, in urban bars. You still have the kind of destination go out to four pillars in the countryside. Um, but I think people are looking more at you need to get people in through the door. Um, yes, they'll come for a tasting, but you want them to stay and taste your drink, taste your spirit yeah, yeah. in a variety of cocktails. Yeah, you've got, I mean, you've got Hickson House in Sydney doing a similar yeah. thing. And in a lot of ways, it's kind of, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's kind of a return to, you know, gin craze in London yeah. days, right? Where yeah. they were making their own stuff and selling yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, there's lots of bonuses. You know, people buy that bottle of gin because they've met somebody and then they go home and they go, I don't know how to drink it. And that was another uh, driving force behind starting the gin queen so if you can yeah. sit in their bar where they're making drinks with their spirit and giving you ideas of how to drink it at home they're more likely to come back and buy that second bottle because 
I think repeat purchases when you've got 900 SKUs is an interesting factor. When, when, when is a gin not a gin? When it's less than 37.5% of the Okay. When it's a no alcohol spirit. <laughs> <laughs> when is gin and not a gin? That's a real, you and I have had this conversation as well when we're yeah. judging, um, judging London dries as opposed to contemporaries. Uh, mm. contemporary gins and yeah there are some things that you taste and you kind of you know is it a gin um i think you have to take a lot of it with the spirit that ha 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 no pun intended in which the distillers made the made the gin and yeah there are definitely some products that are you know nudging the ends of what i would call gin but i'm a you know very much a you know juniper up front kind of person so um, all the best people are I think. <laughs> But it's not it's not everybody's it's not everybody's preference and that's why the contemporary um category is so interesting. You know, it's seeing that skill in creating something using really complex botanicals rather than just relying on the kind of five traditional ones. What are what are some Australian uh distilleries that really come to mind for you when you think about doing things different that maybe is not that completely traditional style of gin but still has that juniper backbone to it but doing something a bit different i think there's there's some really interesting ones out there so um sunshine and suns in queensland you know again uh, because i'm nervous about flavored gins they um so they sent me um their original dry gin which has uh mango in it and things like that and you kind of think oh my god there's quite a few distilleries use mango actually and they just sent another how very queensland yeah, Queensland. I know. Well, actually, they're five minutes from the big pineapple, so it kind of makes sense. <laughs> um, so they, they, to celebrate the 50th birthday, I know you're a Queenslander, to celebrate the 50th anniversary of the big pineapple, they created a pineapple parfait gin. And my oh, inner gin snob kind of was, you know, bracing myself. And I love the oh. fact that they just make me eat my words because it's definitely a gin and it's really cleverly done. Their distiller is an absolute legend. He he runs a lot of uh, teaching uh, for WeSet. Let me let me ask. Do you think we've reached peak gin yet? No. Or no? No. That was very that was a very quick answer. No, I don't think we have. I think um, as much as you know, everyone's speaking about nine hundred SKUs. I think there's while consumers have an interest, there's still room for more because we're only just scraping the surface in terms of what native botanicals to use. I mean, there's 16,000 plants that grow in Australia that don't grow anywhere else in the world. So we have a unique kind of opportunity there. You know, the idea, particularly at the moment where international travel isn't, you know, as easy as it was, people are looking to go and holiday regionally and, and they really like that provenance. You know, I'm staying in this town and it's got a gin um, and I'm going to buy that gin and I'm going to take it home and it's going to, you know, make me think of my holiday. There's a lot, um, there's a long way to go in terms of encouraging tourism businesses, tourism agencies in Australia to kind of move away from the whole food and wine promotion and understand that it's food and drink um, yeah. There's a lot of tourism boards in, in Australia that do it really, really well. Um, and there are some that that's kind of, you know, is still focused on that food and wine element. Yeah. Well, I've noticed South Australia is leaning a lot heavier, a lot more heavily into the spirits thing there, but particularly with the gin producers there. I think South Australia is, you know, if you want to be a gin producer, the, the level of support, financial and, you know, and other that um, South Australian uh, brands get is is incredible. And, you know, all, all power to them. I just wish that it was more, you know, egalitarian across some of the other states. You know, there's some challenges for Queensland distilleries in terms of how they sell their gin. 
I think they weren't allowed to, if I'm right in thinking, you might have to check this, but I think they weren't allowed to sell from cellar doors. WA obviously has a whole raft of restrictions in terms of where you're positioned, in terms of, you know, having dry zones. Um, right. So I think, um, yeah, there's some definite localised challenges. Um, but no, I don't think, I think while you've got people innovating and, you know, giving hospitality experiences, um, as well as the opportunity to make your own gin, I don't see it dying off. It's still trending. Um, mm. There's, you know, there's always rumours of, oh, you know, the bubble's going to burst. Um, and Olivier wrote a really good article uh, this week about, you know, the death of gin. Um, and it's not, it's just evolving. And gin is still trending. It's still outstripping every other spirit. Uh, if people listening to this would like to go to Junipalooza, how do they go about getting tickets? Uh, are there tickets available? Uh, there are for Sydney. There's, they're running out for Melbourne. But yeah, go, head over to Eventbrite or click the link in my Instagram bio. Last question. I'm going to spring this on you. Oh, so, God. you know, take your time, answer it. If you had three pieces of general advice, if people wanted to uh, build a career for themselves in the drinks industry, it might be as a communicator, it might be as someone putting on events. What, what would that be? What should people do? I think you've really got to have a passion for what you do. And that's easy, easy to say. But I think um, you've really got to have a passion for what you do because there's a good few years and there were many years for me where I was in the wilderness. I don't come from a hospitality background. I am a woman of a certain age. Um, and I there were a few years where I really was going to jack it in, particularly when I was going into bars and I would get a very kind of, you know, not often, but a few times where people would, question what I was doing who I was why did I think I could do this I wasn't from a hospitality background my absolute favorite was why I wasn't home with my husband and children my husband at the time oh wow um fortunately 10 years on that's definitely changed but there were a few years where doors were not as uh, uh, you know freely swinging open as they are now and I think so you've got mm. to have a certain resilience a passion for what you're doing and yeah, I was just really stubborn. I was not going to sort of let anyone take me back. So that's the first thing. Um, and I think you've really got to love people. I think that's one of the things that is most satisfying about doing what I do is the con connections I've made in the industry. Distillers are some of the most fascinating, interesting, hilarious, driven people I've ever met totally inspiring yeah. and some of the genuinely the best people to be around you know it's a very collegiate industry everyone wants to help everyone out it's very few dickheads you know that really is a great industry to be around it does make you feel good and and just not not being scared to write those emails like the guys at Junipalooza uh, because you mm. know people sometimes say yes I hope you enjoyed my chat with Caroline. I think she's a stellar example of how you can turn a passion for something into a career that pays the bills. Uh, and thank you for listening. If you're enjoying this, please recommend it to a friend. Give it a rating on Apple Podcasts. It all helps to make the show more discoverable for others like you who might enjoy it. So thanks for listening.